What's going on, party people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. As you guys know, this is also not only on Bird Rights feed, but Round Ball Rambles feed as well with host Corbin Ford. And unfortunately, we don't have any guests. We don't have any more participant GMs to interview today regarding this is episode five of the Mark Trade Deadline series. It is just Corbin and I. So Corbin, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing just good. I'm, I'm doing I'm doing just good. <laughs> this okay. tells you how good I'm doing. I'm doing just fine. Doing all right. We're having some fun late night here, just recording. Uh, sorry about that. But yeah, excited. Okay. So for those of you guys who listened to part four of this Mark Trade Deadline series, you heard Corbin and I, you know, kind of negotiate live on air. So that trade did come to fruition. While I couldn't pull off a TJ Warren move for Miami from Brooklyn, we did get something done. I gave Corbin Boban Marjanovic, who I subsequently acquired in another uh, three-team, four-team four trade, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And I gave you a 2026 second-round pick, I think it was. Pretty sure. Either way, I, I gave a second-round pick. I, unfortunately, I don't have it up in front of me right now. And Corbin basically gave me Kessler Edwards and Dayron Sharp. Yep. Yes, two young prospects who I like, but I ended up flipping Dayron Sharp for cap purposes into a trade for Jay Crowder, which I know we talked about last episode. And as Miami, I was looking at Miami's cap sheet next year. I was like, okay, Tyler, Tyler Heroes rookie extension is kicking in. And let me see. As of next year, he is making a crap load of money. He is making. $27 million next year from the 5.7 he's making this year from his rookie deal. So he jumps top to $22 million. Jimmy Butler goes from 37.6. His extension kicks us, so he makes 46.9. You serve Bam on a bio for 32.6. Kyle Larry for 29.6. Duncan Robinson for 18.1. Then Victor Oladipo has a player option for 9.5. So when I came in as the Heat, and again, this episode is mostly going to be just Corbin and I reflecting on what we learned, what we are notice from other participant GMs, you know, lessons you can learn from this exercise and maybe things you could expect from the real deadline. But I just wanted to open this because Miami, I looked and they were in cap hell. So I figured, okay, how could I get an upgrade without, and going into this, Miami was 162,000 under the tax. So I I was very strapped on what I was able to do. I was able to pull off Eric Gordon and Jay Crowder, who are both on expiring deals, so the money gets wiped off the books, or Eric Gordon has a non-guarantee. I could always pick it up and flip him for something else if something comes to fruition, or I could just keep his $20 million, which I'm unlikely to do because of the cap situation I'm in. Crowder, maybe I could get for a team discount, given he's played in Miami before. But anyway, I got those two expiring guys. I got off Duncan Robinson. And Corbin, I actually agreed to another trade that has not yet been announced on either the Discord or Sports Ethos site. Oh, world breaking news! With our good buddy Josh Earl, who was a Utah Jazz. He was busy. Josh has needed a backup point guard. He's gauged the market for every backup point guard he could find. So after my Jay Crowder deal, let me pull up my cap sheet here. I got Jay Crowder, Eric Gordon, got off Duncan Robinson, got Kessler Edwards from you. I only have 12 guys on my roster right now, and I'm 442,000 under the tax. So I'm right there. And you need to have at least 14 guys going into the playoffs. So I'm like, okay, let me see. I'm going to convert Orlando Robinson to 
a standard minimum rookie contract for the rest of the season as of March 1st, which is the last day. So that way the prorated portion is less. Mm-hmm. If I did that for my two two-way guys or even Orlando Robinson and then whatever buyout guy or minimum guy I sign, it would put me over the tax by $15,000. So I was like, okay, well, I got Jay Crowder, I got Eric Gordon, I got to make one more move. So yeah. I said, you know what? He offered me Gabe Vincent. I, I'm giving up Gabe Vincent, who's really the only backup ball handler, Kyle Lowry, on my whole roster. I'm giving wow. him up for two second-round picks. Because I traded three second-round picks to get Crowder. I gave up a first to get Gordon. Well, I gave up three second-round picks to get Crowder and Kessler Edwards. So I only have one second-rounder in my cupboard at all. So I recovered two of them. It'll hurt losing Gabe Vincent, but it's not something. You know, I'm not going to go into the tax and have my owners pay 18 to $20 million in a tax reimbursement as that opposed to getting getting that $18 million, essentially. Not um, not obviously paying it. You're paying full less. But either way, you're not getting the distribution mm-hmm. at that point. And then there's a repeater tax and everything like that. You have to worry about years down the line. So, Corbin, I know this was a long, you know, rambling of <laughs> what I did. But yeah. I think what I'm getting at is there's a lot of teams in similar situations as Miami. I mean, I want to talk about what Matt Issa did as Portland. I want to talk about what Evan Damarell did as Cleveland. And we had Evan on last episode. Um, I want to talk about what I did as Miami, which I mostly did already. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted and the six was what they could do because those are teams that are right at the tax. So yes, they want to compete. They're all competing. Uh, Poor then, I'm not so sure, but they think they're competing. They think they are. Yeah. So they're all going to be buyers at the deadline, but they're all, you know, at the tax. And I've had like, like Matt posted on Twitter today saying those six teams I still haven't wrote an article for about this year. And he, he listed the six teams and one of them is Portland. I said, why don't you talk about what you did in the mock trade deadline as Portland? Because. It was pretty impressive. I mean, to be able to find upgrades or depth or whatever you're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. when you're that close to the tax and able to accomplish. Same thing with Evan. We praised Evan when he was on the other day with how great of a job he did acquiring Josh Hart and Devon Reed and Justin Holiday and Josh Richardson. He got all the wings that he wanted. Yeah. So I think what, I'm again, what I'm trying to get at is you need to think like your GM and really put your GM cap on when assessing what your favorite team's going to do with the trade deadline. Like, as a Sixers fan, I know, okay, we're $1.1 million over the tax. There's, we're, we're going to salary dump Jaden Springer, or whoever it may be. Well, there's no way we're going to pay the tax because then we're subject to the repeater tax. We're not getting that $18 million distribution, which is the largest in league. Like, there's, just, there's, there's never been a team this close to getting out of the tax that hasn't gotten out. That's true. So as a Sixers fan, everyone's like, oh, do you think we could get Terrence Ross? Do you think we get Gary Harris? Yes, but no. Like, they, you could salary match for them. I see people playing on the trade machine. Mm-hmm. But then, but yes, I- that it's, it's, you're not getting out of the tax with that. You're giving up Furcon Corpons, Amatis, Thibault, and Janelle House, and you're still, in the, you're still in the tax with two now roster spots to fill. It's just, it's not feasible for a lot of these teams. Mm-hmm. So for that, I tip my hat to... I'm not going to toot my own horn. I think I did a great job as Miami to really maneuver <laughs> under the tax standard, though. But to mm-hmm. the Mats and the Evans, as Portland and Cleveland, who 
were right at the tax and yeah. found a way to navigate around it and still be successful with what they've done. Mm. I think you did good. I think it really showed, like you said, a lot of the mindset that um, various GMs of ours came to the to basically brought to the table here in this mock trade. Like you said, how are you operating? You know, we, we saw you mentioned Evan Damro. You mentioned other GMs that were trying to do a more realistic rebuild of their team or a realistic outlook of, okay, how can we operate within the financial margins available to us? You did an amazing job, especially for, let's face it, a late flurry of moves. This is basically the equivalent of the Miami Heat making moves at, what, 245? Is it a 3 o'clock deadline? Like, you waited and then did all these moves. And you have Victor Oladipo, who's your really only mid-tier salary, with a Mm -hmm. one-year no-trade clause, so I can't even move him. Exactly. And somehow you still found ways to upgrade, bring in some interesting prospects, cut the tax like you had several robinson's deal so i'm saving my future flexibility a little bit exactly i don't know if that's more impressive than me getting off of ben simmons but no i'm playing but at the same time like yeah you were able to just fulfill all these individual mandates within a very truncated amount of time while also operating to fill the needs of others we had conversations as well you know the bobon contract and i was gonna let you in i I was approached a few times for bobon's contract and what to do there and like who would take it like that sort of thing and i'm like eh, i don't know and then ultimately we had a negotiation like fine i'll take them i'll give you two guys who i like i like both dayron sharp and um kessler as as we're recording this uh dayron sharp actually had a good game against yeah, the Lakers. Yeah. Really good minutes. So I didn't want to get rid of them, but at the same time, I also have financial things to consider as well, and I could get a pick for the trouble of getting Boban, who I will probably either if flip off, flip, or, or wave because the veteran talent is the veteran locker room presence of him is lost on us because we got a lot of vets, and he's not going to be really playable in the system we have. But to get an extra asset to recoup some of the value that I lost in my various trades earlier, that was okay to me. You know, that was worth the risk because at the end of the day, Unless Dayron Sharp or Kessler Everett eat, reach the best version of themselves, they're not supplanting this Claxton. They're not supplanting Durant or anyone that we have now there. And that was the mindset I went into it with. So all that to say just how interesting this all is. And like you said, everything that you were able to accomplish with your own mandates and your own set of guidelines there and how mine kind of evolved more organically but the same type of mindset, as well as all the other, you know, 26, 27 GMs who actively participate in this in this trade deadline. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. Is there here any team that, you know, really impressed you or in the alternative, a team that, okay, I don't think they're realistically going to do this in real life, but, you know, I could see them. Uh, they thought outside of the box and got creative, and I could see, you know, the team doing something like that now. I mean, I don't know. Like the Kings maybe being more open to moving Keegan Murray was interesting to me. Uh, not for better or for worse, but just interesting, especially for a Kyle Kuzma. Eh, that is something that would, at least in the short term, be an upgrade. That would be kind of cool. You know, money-wise, definitely interesting there. But that was one that was outside the box for me, for sure. I did like what Houston did, you know. I um, think they had a clear plan and went for it. Obviously, I know Cooper well, but I liked what he did. Same thing with Utah and, and what they did. Um, one guy I have to give shout out to we had him on early as a guest s uh, of toronto did an amazing job as well there and so it was really good to see the type of stuff that you know he was able to do attacking his deadline but there was a lot of really good guys yossi really went bold with it and was good yeah and it's it's funny that you mention guys like yossi with the clippers and cooper with the rockets and keith with the kings because those were the trades that i was like are you kidding me? You really had to 
pull some BS like this because it's not going to happen in real life. Let's be real. Um, you know, Keegan Murray, I they just drafted number four. It would be unprecedented for them to trade him for a guy like Kyle Kuzma. For the Rockets and Clippers, I don't think realistically either of those teams are going to trade do that Kawhi Leonard trade that they got because the Clippers are clearly still competing for a championship and the Rockets are in the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But those were trades that one. And then a Niels for Fred Van Vliet wasn't as bad because I could at least semi see And maybe if it was an overpay, I could see the framework that they came up with somewhat being really, obviously the Pelicans have since lost eight in a row, but at the time that it occurred, I don't think it was outland- I don't think it was that outlandish at all. But those were the three. I'm like, okay, come on now. Like, let's be realistic here. But <laughs> as I as I said on the previous episode, last year when we did this, and Corbin, you were part of this last year. And yeah. this is the year we real expanded. Last year we had 15 people, each represent two teams. This year we had 30 participant GMs that were either beat writers or podcasters or just general NBA salary cap experts or media that mm-hmm. really know the stuff that have done phenomenal jobs, but Corbin, you've seen this, you know, expand from what it, from when it was just in my head, when I first joined sports ethos, I was doing it on my own. Just, yes. And we talked about that. Yup. And then I, you encouraged me to expand it to the 15 people last year. And a lot of it was you and Roche tech. And then Keith and Trey from the sports ethos bulls and some buddies of mine that just love basketball with a lot of guidance for me with all the CBA stuff. Now, this year, I didn't have to do nearly, for lack of a better term, nearly as much babysitting because mm-hmm. these guys know the stuff. They're on top of it. Um, you said it. So, how do you th- – and again, I, I, I segue that into say, like, last year we traded Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakman and we thought we were insane for it. Yeah. And now we're a year later, and there's a good shot. Fred Van Vliet is not going to be on the Raptors in 10 days. There's a very good shot of that. Yeah. Uh, is he in a shot of OG? OG and Obi. I mean, here's the thing. It's so interesting that you bring this up because a lot of, you know, when you are simulating a mock offseason, it's 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 something that you can simulate up to a degree, but there's always that sense of the unknown. You mm-hmm. always see a crazy trade. We You mentioned this last time we had recorded. Who saw the Rudy Gobert trade being what it was, right? You saw um, two years back with Russell Westbrook. I didn't see all of that value realistically going to Washington for Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm given the contract that he was on, and yes, he played okay, but, you know, like, there's always a trade or two in real life to happen. What about Tyrese Halliburton? I know the Kings... Insane. I know the Kings are playing well, but, like... Yes, that still doesn't happen. Nobody would have envisioned them trading away. Also, nobody envisioned them being as good as they are with the moves they made after the initial move. Like, it's almost like saying, hey, let's say I did this trade right now and I blow up the Raptors, but I had a plan. In the offseason, I'm going to surround shooting around Scotty Barnes, whatever. You're not even going to get to that point. Like, that's not even going to be a conversation that you're going to be able to have because you haven't adequately sold the move that was already made. So, like you said, like, 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 again, the Kings, they surround DeMontis Sabonis and and De'Aaron Fox with shooters, spread floor, you know, one five pick and roll, like, you know, all offense and look at the winning it does. Good. That sounds good in theory. At the time this trade happened, we didn't know it was going to happen like this. Mm -hmm. You also didn't know Tyree Halliburton was going to flourish as he has in Indiana, but you are not going to trade a top, you know, what top 12 pick in, in the next middle of a second year for, for for basically another guy who's solid like these trades that happen organically sometimes are out of the blue they cannot be calculated they cannot be you know foresaw so sometimes with the mock trade deadline it's the same thing here you know there there is a realm of reality 
that we operate in, but sometimes there's stuff that happens that is reality that is outside of what's expected. There's always surprise, almost every trade deadline, you know? And so last year was almost some clairvoyant work done by you in terms of saying, okay, hey, this might happen. If these guys, if Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam and them are, are good, but not great to crack the top five, top six consistently Eastern Conference, if they're not winning a championship, they're going to have an aging, you know, bloated roster of good but not great guys. Why not shop around, see if we can get value for them, either reset on a rebuild or bolster, you know, your young talent and some surrounding guys to really make a stronger push. In theory, that makes sense. Now, when you sell to Twitter like we attempted to, they were like, that makes no sense. That never happened. But here we are. The mindset hasn't changed. Toronto's in the exact same situation that we were when we were thinking about this last summer. We were just, or last um, last spring. We were just too soon, which is, hey, if they're not making significant headway, they're going to be just at or around 500. Fred Van Vliet's up for an extension soon. Pascal Siakam's locked up. Like, you have an expensive roster. What are you going to do? And I think that is interesting. Like you said, the evolution of this, one, more people. And so with that is more of that unpredictability that we were talking about. You know, like the Clippers, they were like, chuck it. We're just going to do whatever. You know what I mean? You had, you know, the Kings, Keegan Murray, he's available. Stuff that in real life you wouldn't think would happen. But then again, there's always that one or two trades that do pop up that exist just perfectly outside of that. So I always think it's interesting how different gyms approach it. I don't think there is a set way of doing things like yes it's every contender team gonna blow it up obviously not but at the same time if we're just moving the pieces that everyone talks about being the most commonly you know talked about pieces then what is john collins bojan bogdanovich miles turner you know like four or five other guys and what a very dry deadline we had you know so it's always uh, an interesting uh, microcosm of what actually happens during trade deadline season yeah, and honestly, it wouldn't shock me if I was... I wish I was a fly on the wall in Toronto's headquarters with Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster because I can't do they wish that they flipped Fred Van Vliet this time last year because now he's not expiring. He's not worth nearly as much. Well, what is worth? My pops is actually at the Suns-Raptors um, game right now. And before the game started... Masai Mujiri and James Jones met up and went back into the lockers. Okay. Doesn't mean anything, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean? Like something, nothing, everything. They went back in the tunnel. This is this is how it begins. This is where it starts, right? Just conversation. Yeah. Just conversation. I mean, I'm sure at this point they've already have a framework laid out. It's just, okay, let's see the next 10 days. Exactly, exactly. And I agree, but that's what I mean. Like you said, if, if, if you're Mujiri now... Would you rather have done this a year before? Now, mind you, you might have wanted to see how the year played out. You know, you might have had more faith in that team. Of course, there was injuries at the time. You might have thought that you had a, a good playoff opponent. Like, I get why you would argue to stay the course and see what happened. But at the same time, hindsight being twenty twenty, it didn't work out. You're in the same position now. So maybe you realized a year too late that the roster you had in front of you that was around 500 is the roster you have. Yeah, I mean, this isn't to say that Kawhi Leonard is going to be traded next year, but no. with the knee injury and the knee concerns that he's had, is it that far? Now, Houston probably wouldn't be that perfect matchup. I imagine if a Kawhi Leonard trade did come to fruition, the Clippers would still want to compete because they don't have any of their own picks. 
They don't control any of the future for the next, like, what, four or five years. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Alpin Shingun is a pretty damn good basketball player, and Yossi valued that when they took that trade. So I'll be crazy? Probably. But, yeah. but we might be crazy, but none of crazy. us are that's yep. what I'll say. Exactly. My, you know what? My mama used to say, I'm crazy. Crazy like a fox. Mm-hmm. You know? There it is. Okay. So, is there any trade that... And again, everyone, if you want to follow along, you could go on sportsethos.com. We have a mock trade deadline landing page. You could follow Sportsethos on Twitter. They've been tweeting out. I think they tweeted out 12 of the trades so far. We're at about 27, 26 of them already. So, about half of them are already out. If you guys want to follow along, see the trades we're talking about, you can. If you have any questions, you could DM me. I have the whole cap sheet for every trade that's been completed so far. So you can kind of see everybody's updated teams. But Corbin, is there a trade that has really stuck out to you? Like, wow. Like, I, I kind of asked this already, but like... Yeah, one that you just kind of keep circling. Yeah, like... eat. Whether it be something that was surprising or something that, okay, I never thought about this, but this would really work out well for that team. I kind of feel, hmm, that's a real good question. I don't have an answer. I'm pulling up my um. I, I my feel like sheet. yeah, it shouldn't work, and I know I'm gonna get some hate for it, but I just find the Toronto New Orleans trade so fascinating. Okay. I just do. I think the Raptors, I mean, Dyson Daniels is a prospect who fits exactly what the Raptors ethos is in terms of mm. having that length, the flexibility, the versatility on a on a 6-8 frame, right? And they got Najee Marshall in six, 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 seven frame. Exactly. Najee Marshall, just 25. You know, you have a few picks as well. You know, you got a nice little package and draft compensation there as well. Um, and I like, I, I'm just intrigued by the fit of Van Vliet in New Orleans. I know... I know the talk, but I, as much as CJ McCollum, you know, can play the point guard role, that's not really his role. He's best when he is free to just score and then play make on the side and not have to have to balance that focus, you know. And I think that when you get Fred, Fred Van Vliet there, yeah, you have a small, undersized backcourt for sure. But Van Viet, Van Viet, Van Vliet competes on that end for sure. He yeah. can knock down the three. You know, he brings more offense at the point guard spot than you have if you slide you know, um, CJ to the point and then play one of the wings, whether it's Herb Jones or someone else on the off guard position. And I just think it's an interesting mix. I, I just like the way that it looks. So that's interesting to me. I, I definitely, you know, there, there's, there's overpay for sure. You know, Van Vliet is an unrestricted free agent, you know, I, I, like it's a bunch there, but I just think it's interesting. The lineups that could work. There's some freaky stuff you can do in New Orleans with these two small guards in Van Vliet and, and McCullum, and then Zion and mm-hmm. um, Ingram, and then whether you want to play Herb Jones or whether you want to put traditional big in Valanciunas or whether you want to, you know, uh, Jackson Hayes is gone. But, you know, like, there's pieces there. Uh, Troy, Trey, um, if you want to put Zion to the five, have mm-hmm. Trey Murphy and, and, and Brandon Ingram, that's a small 3-4 in terms of frame matchup, but that's a rangy 3-4 matchup. That's an athletic 3-4 matchup. That's an offensively explosive 3-4 matchup and with what- Zion. What about Kelly Olynyk, who they got in another subsequent deal? We've exactly. been trying to get a guy like Miles Turner into New Orleans for years because he could stretch the floor next to Zion. And I you know, God, what he gave up Garrett Temple, Jackson Hayes, and 
a first when he has a million of them for Kelly Olenek? I, exactly. I, thought, I thought that was a home run as well. You said it. So there, there, there you go. Like there, there is some, but like some of these moves are really, really interesting. Whether or not you agree or disagree with them, just from a basketball thought perspective, trying to kind of see how this roster fits together. Yeah, it's a lot to chew on for sure. And I was listening to pod one of the mock trade deadline for Dunk Dong. Yeah, so me too today. So I, unfortunately, I don't have Dunk Dong time because. For multiple reasons, I feel like I am already doing my own. I want to grow mine, not grow somebody else's. Yeah, I feel like. In order to get the full, you know, parts two and three of the mock trade deadline, which unfortunately I don't have. It's interesting because I, I believe in their part one. They had Miles Turner. Was it a ne- renegotiating stand like he did in real life yesterday? Yeah. To the Pelicans. For Valentunas and Devontae Graham, I think it was, and then whatever first-round picks they gave. Mm-hmm. But that's an intriguing framework. I mean, I don't think Miles Turner's going to be traded now. It's He's still eligible to be traded because it's not considered an extension. It was a renegotiation. So he's trade eligible. I, I know some people have. I know Aaron Drewski has tweeted at me to get clarification on that. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, so... But I'm intrigued by like a stretch five on that roster that like Kelly Olenek that Anil did or a Miles Turner. Or, like I was in love with the framework initially of a three-team trade of Miles Turner going to the Pelicans, Valanciunas going to the Nets, mm-hmm. and then whatever Sally Filler and picks going to Pacers. Now with Nick Claxton's breakout, that's not happening. No, no, not, but, not a chance. But I'm saying but, I think that was like my initial inclination going into this season of okay, who could use a bit? Like, let's say Valentunas to the Clippers, and he spits him into a Zubash. I could see something like that. Yeah, and the Pacers getting Sally Filler and a first round pick or whatever from the Pelicans. But at this point, I do think Miles Turner will take multiple first. So. Is there anybody in the actual real-life deadline? I know we talked about Toronto as probably the team to watch just because they have the most pieces to give and the most intriguing pieces to give. But is there an individual, like, like Miles Turner, for example, he's been on the trade block for years, and just it doesn't seem like he's being moved. John Collins, at this point, has been on the trade block for years. It doesn't seem like anyone wants his contract, really. So is there a guy in the real-life NBA deadline that either got moved or didn't get moved in our exercise that you have an eye on? Um, I feel like every main target that we kind of expect to be moved was moved. I, I do wonder. Yeah, now the Jake uh, me, was moved today. Exactly. I, that would have been my that would have been my big one if that had not been done. But be, has that now that with that being the case, I do feel like everyone has been. Taken John care Collins of. is still right. John Collins, Collins is interesting, and also what have the Lakers done? I know they were involved in a move today, but in general, that was actually the first move. And the deadline by the time we record this is going to be the day. The deadline is by the time this drops. We're recording January 30th. I'm going to get this out tomorrow. We got a day and a half. Wednesday, yeah. So, So, I mean, I'm surprised they didn't make any moves because their mandate is clear. You cannot sit pat with this roster. And, I mean, not if you're trying to – no, you can't sit pat with this roster. I mean, Rob Palenka has been posturing that you can, but that's, that's, that's bull. So, so what's, word. what's okay? So they did something similar. They, instead of Rui Hachimura, they got Darius Basley in our in our exercise. They flipped Kendrick Nunn in a second for Basley. In real life, the Lakers flipped Nunn and three seconds for Hachimura. 
what else do you think needs to be done for a team like the Lakers? And again, I told you, I I constructed next year's Lakers roster in out based off the cap space, based off the room exception, based off everything they could do. Yeah, you still so, haven't sent that to me, by the way. Yeah, let me pull it up, actually. We'll talk yeah. about it. And shoot, because, shoot it to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this live on air. No, I'm playing. But while, while you look for, I'm gonna tell you what I, what I, what I, what I think the goal should be, which okay. is, I'm sure it's basically similar to what you have, which is, you know, you're trying to contend, right? LeBron's not gonna be able to be traded until next season. AD's locked up. Uh, now, mind you, last year I was thinking bold. I would have tried to move AD, but this year he's been playing well. The Lakers. You've seen LeBron playing well. You saw the offseason talk about wanting to um, uh, basically safeguard LeBron's legacy. You have to bring in guys, whether that means cap space goes kaput, and you offload those picks with Russell Westbrook, a Pat Beverly, Kendrick Nunn package. Now, mind you, I know Kendrick Nunn's I'm talking about going into the deadline, what I would do if I was Lakers. Like, you're trying to, if you're, I don't think the cap space means as much this season. I just don't for the Lakers. I think that they have not had continuity. Over the last couple of years, a sh- two-thirds of your roster is always role players, a different brand each year. I think that you want to have some continuity. So you make a trade with your picks to bring some talented players that, yes, are going to be on your team long-term, but that mesh well with LeBron and Anthony Davis, and that you can build some continuity with to contend now and contend the future. We know the Lakers do good with their second-round draft picks. There's going to be a free agent that you could probably get on the cheap as well. That is what I'm looking at. So the Rui Hachimura trade was interesting, but the type of player archetype where, hey, this guy could be a promising fit, not just for this year, but, and, and it's funny, um, a good piece, uh, John Hollinger wrote a good piece on The Athletic about both the Lakers and the Pacers with their separate moves, both Miles Turner for the Pacers, Rui Hachimura for the Lakers. They're not just making these moves for this year right now, this trade deadline right now. They're also looking to the eye for the 2023 offseason. In fact, um, it was basically kind of thrown out as an idea, as a thought construct that those two moves are really the first moves of the 2023 offseason mm-hmm. and not the moves of the trade deadline, which I thought was interesting. So I'm going to throw it back to you to get your expert take on it. But that's what I would do if I was the Lakers. But you can't sit tight with this roster, not with the way LeBron's been playing, not with the way Anthony Davis has been playing, not with how wide open this West can be and absolutely no promises it'll be like this next year or that LeBron and AD will be playing at the level they are next year. LeBron's going to be 39 next year. At some point, it has to, it has to fall off, right? AD's going to be 30, going to 31, and he's been injury riddled even while he's been playing well. You have no guarantees, so strike while the iron's hot. That's that's all I can see. So it's interesting because at this point, the Lakers traded Kendrick Nunn for Rui Hachimura. So that means, I mean, their goal was to Patrick Pat Bev and Kendrick Nunn to get an upgrade. They can't aggregate Hachimura now with Beverly. So they had to gauge the market for every 18 to $21 million guy there is and weren't content. Like, they don't want to take on an Evan Fournier or someone because they don't want to hamstring their cap space. Mm-hmm. So they they had to exhaust every option before they did the Sachi Moore trade because now, sure, you could package Patrick Beverly with Damian Jones, but that could only that can't get you to $20 million. Kendrick Nunn and Patrick Beverly would have. So the Lakers had to extract every alternative and say, you know what? We'll contend with Hachi Moore. That's the realistic scenario of it. So, okay, I found the Lakers roster I constructed, but this is for next year with the cap space. So a little off topic from what they could do at the trade deadline, but I do think some of these guys could be acquired at the trade deadline now. Similar, and then they re-sign them similar to what they did with Hachimura. So I project the Lakers to have about $33 million in cap space at the most. Yeah. 
I say Hachimura takes about eight million of that. So that puts it down to twenty-five. I have them re-signing Lonnie Walker for about eight. Wow. I have them either trading for now and re-signing him with his bird rights or just signing him outright. Cam Reddish for six mil. We know the Lakers have been very intrigued by him. And Lakers fans are going to kill me. I have them re-signing Russell Westbrook for $11 million, which mid-level exception money I think is fair for him at this point. He's probably going to win six-man Leo, whether he deserves that over a guy like Malcolm Brogdon or not, who's Mm -hmm. been phenomenal for the best team in the league. I would argue against that. But I think $11 million a year for Westbrook is fine. Then you have the room exception. I gave that entire room exception to TJ Warren because I'm kind of figuring out Oh, I'm hoping that he can figure it out by the time the Nets have a deep playoff run and he's more back to normal. So he's worth more than the minimum at that point and I give him the room exception. Mm. So at that point, I give them a few minimums. So I have the starting lineup being Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, LeBron AD, and then it's put miscellaneous center on a minimum similar to what Thomas Bryant did this year. Okay, I mean, yeah, because Thomas outperformed his contract. Yeah, he's not going to be back. You can't get him and Lonnie both back. Then I have Westbrook, Cam Reddish, TJ Warren, Rui Hachimura, Max Christie. I brought in Vin Forbes, Aaron Holiday, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker on minimums. I signed Jay Hoff from the G League to be the backup center, and then whoever you guys could get with the Pelicans' first-round pick. That's the construction I came up with, and I think that's a pretty good scenario for the Lakers. Now, obviously, this is a trade deadline show, and we're getting into a little bit of the weeds in the offseason now, but... That's the type of move I envision the Lakers doing, like acquiring a Cam Reddish. Like, let me pull up the Knicks cap sheet while we're talking. Yeah, I like it. Also, I mean, I'm already getting ideas for anyway the offseason with that because I like that idea there for sure. I mean, I don't know. TJ Warren's interesting to me just because, I mean, the dude is going to be 30, um, all offense, no defense, and really operates more in the mid-range. Needs the ball to kind of cook. But at the same time, you see him really work well with the Nets, kind of disproving what I just said. He does seem to cook in a hurry offensively. Uh, I If that's the best we can do at that spot, then I'm with it. If not, like, I like something. But I like that entire construct. And especially when it comes to, like you said, Lonnie Walker, um, obviously Rui, like, to have young talent, you know, look at what Malik Monk is doing in, in, in Sacramento that he could have been known for the Lakers, you know, as a, as a scoring combo guard to kind of keep second units afloat, you know, and as far as Russ coming off the bench, I mean, listen, it's not very popular. I'll agree, but I mean, I see it too. I see it as something that very, it's very likely. Yeah. And I think that's around the type of money that I think you get like a mid-level exception type deal for Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. So that's why everyone's like, oh yeah, he's going to take a buyout after he's traded to like Indiana, San Antonio, Utah, whatever. He's not taking no buyout. I mean, because once you take that buyout, that's the guy you are now. Like, look what happened with John Wall. Yeah. He took a buyout and sure, he's not the same player he was regardless, even if he didn't take a buyout. But once you that buyout, taxpayer MLE or minimum contract guy, that's who you are now. There's no coming back from that. No, no, so, you said you've committed to the path. That's what it is. Exactly. So, okay. So we're interested in the Lakers. We already talked about Toronto. I'm still intrigued by a team like Indiana and Utah, 
just because they could kind of go either way. Indiana at this point, I think is going to be more sellers now, even if they keep Turner because what they've, they've lost eight and nine without Halliburton and they went from the five or six seed or the six seed in the East down to they're out of the play in now. All the way. Yeah. Uh, and Utah, I mean the West, like there's what four games between the four seed and the 13 seed right now. Mm-hmm. So Utah could sure they could tank and become the 13 seed and get better lottery odds, but they'll, Three games out of getting home field advantage in the playoffs. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's true. Those are teams I'm intrigued by. But otherwise, I don't have much else. I do think a lot of these GMs have, you know, this is my first year kind of micromanaging 30 different people that are how, how, experts of these specific teams. And yeah, before you even get there, let me ask you that. How was your experience? in this new capacity where you've always been kind of the, the, the shepherder of this entire process, right? But in this one, you did have 30 experts, people who, you know, they could use your help, but they knew their team well. They had a very good understanding of the cap, salary machinations, everything available. So how was it having to kind of be involved in every trade negotiation of guys who, and, and other people who know their stuff? It was different. I mean... Obviously, I construct these trades in my head a lot of the time when I was doing this on my own. And that's what I've been doing with my mock offseason every year because mock offseasons are tough because, like, okay, you have the player's agent and then each individual team. I do want to expand that as well if we could somehow this summer. Like, if I could be every player's agent and then all 30 guys come negotiate with me and try to get X player. That's a heavy workload for you. Yeah, that's a lot for you, especially I'll, if maybe we are waiting. In, like three other people and delegates agent duties to them, so that way yeah. four of us are like, yeah, available. And then I like that. Up. That yeah, I'm like, cause I can see a whole lot of everybody's waiting. Like, okay, <laughs> I wake up with 562 Discord exactly. messages, exactly, and trade I, offers and negotiating extent, all that good stuff. But yeah, so I'm. It was different for sure because it's not exactly what I would do a lot of the time. And I had to, you know, remind myself of that. Like, okay, look, you wanted to expand this thing. You can't complain when somebody does a trade that you disagree with. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the hardest thing about it because, like, again, this is like, I don't have any children yet, but this is like my firstborn child. Like, I love it. Um, (laughs) Hey, you made this happen, man. This is your baby. Yeah. And a lot of it's, for lack of a better term, my reputation, my credibility. Like, I brought it to Sports Ethos. I'm the one writing the articles, doing the podcast, and running this whole thing. So, like, I'm just like, okay, well, you had to do this when, like, my name is attached to it. But, like, the, the, the point is, we've already reiterated multiple times, it's about what theoretically could happen, not what will happen. And I don't think anything was completely out of the realm of possibility. No. So... Again, I don't think the Kings are trading the fourth pick in the draft for a guy or an expiring deal. But the counter argument to that is they've wanted Kyle Kuzma since they traded Buddy Hill to the Lakers and the Lakers opted for Russell Westbrook instead. So Yeah. And and look how that's come to bite. Now they want Kyle Kuzma back. So yeah, I, I'm I'm happy with how it turned out. There's obviously it's tough to get all 30 GMs to be fully engaged. But we've had, what, 24, 25 GMs that are consistently in Discord almost every day messaging people, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, sure, there's five that aren't, but even the five that aren't still have periodically done something, at least attempted to. I don't think yeah. I've had anybody who I just said, 
Is this guy even checking? No, I, I yeah. haven't had anybody like that. So we de- we definitely have a good group of guys. And yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful for the opportunity Sports Ethos has given the platform to put it on. And I think we did a great job assembling the Modley crew of characters that we have. Yeah, it's been a blast. I, I want to thank you and take the opportunity to say thank you, Stephen, for bringing me on and let me be part of this. You know, I'm I'm the the if you're the front office expert, I'm the I'm the front office expert like fan, um, fanboy. Just love this type of stuff and being able to be a part of it with you and see how you developed it literally from the ground up. We saw it last year as it just started. We saw it this year where you're like, Chuck, it. I'm just going to ask everybody. You know what I mean? And, and raise it up to what it was. Um, even not being able to be the Lakers. You know, it's still good for me. So I do appreciate just being able to do this with you and seeing the work you put in it as well as Wojcik. Shout out to him. Seeing all the great GMs and folks that we've had the opportunity to have on the show. I love the fact that you made an audio component of this as well. You know, because it's something we didn't do last year. I think it's really cool. It's good to have a written piece as well, but to have this podcast form as well, it's going to be great um, to listen back, to have more, not only um, not not only further enhancement of, of the content, but to get other GMs feedback, you know, to have, okay, let's see how the Pelicans think about the sale, the Raptors think about it. It's really made this more alive before the actual trade deadline comes and takes over as the main event. So just want to give my sincere gratitude to you and a brief shout out to really putting this whole bad boy together. Yeah, I appreciate that. And for all the people that are on Twitter tweeting at us about it, oh, this trade will never happen, blah, blah, blah. We know. You think, yeah. <laughs> but like, thank you. I, I appreciate the feedback. Mm-hmm. So they, they think they're trying to get under my skin, but no, like I do appreciate the feedback. So we, could learn from this exercise for next year and years going forward. Um, we did have somebody, we had Matt Moderno on last episode, and he talked about his Kuzma for Keegan Murray swap on Believe in Wizards today. And that's what their episode focused on, was just our mock trade deadline and, oh, is this something they would do? And a guy's tweeting, I'm not doing that trade. I'm not trading Kuzma. And the guy goes, and Matt goes, you realize Kuzma could walk, we lose him for nothing, and we got the fourth pick in the draft for him, right? He goes, I'm not trading Kuzma. <laughs> like, I love it. No. I love it. Yeah. No. And that, that, again, it starts the conversation that makes us all better for it. Yep. It's really more, it's not just arguments. It's thought exercises. It's roster construction discussion. Roster construction discussion. Say that three times fast. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah, I think... I, I have everything we've, that we've made it. I have. So, okay. As I said, you guys go on sportsethos.com to the mock trade deadline landing page. If you're having issues on finding it, just go on sportsethos' Twitter. You could scroll, see some of the trades, and then they've been tweeting out the link after each trade for the landing page. So you could click on that. Then there's a drop down box where you could click on whatever team you want to see and see what trades your team, your favorite team, or your least favorite team, or your team's rival has made. So go check that out. This will be the conclusion of the mock trade deadline series on bird rights and round ball ramble. So listen to these five episodes to get to, you know, get insight on why these GMs did what they did and why we have them thinking like GMs and rationalizing the type of stuff they've done. So I think I've done a pretty good job with the write-ups on Sports Ethos on rationalizing why these GMs did what they did. So if you guys have any other questions, feel free to reach out, tweet at me at BirdRightsPod, DM me. Um, you can email me, birdrightspod at gmail.com. Yeah, um, otherwise, this 
we have until Wednesday to try to get everything completed. So I'm not sure how long Sports Ethos will be updating the site until till all the trades are updated. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll be very interactive on Twitter leading up to the real deadline for anybody who has any questions. You can find again, you can find me on Twitter at Birdrights Pod. Corbin, you could find on Twitter at Corbin NBA. You got it. You could listen to Round Ball Ramble podcast. You could. Did you start the Hornets feed yet? I know you're. Oh, going... no, that's going to be coming up first of the month. Okay. So, Corbin, starting on Wednesday, the same day as our last day of the mock trade deadline, will be doing the Charlotte Hornets coverage for Sports Ethos. Yep. End of one project, start of another. Okay. There Keep we go. Going. So, okay. Corbin, anything else to add? Uh, again, thank you so much. I feel like it's the last time I'll say this for a minute being on this show, so really appreciate that. Hope you had a lot of fun. At the end of the day, this is informative. It's you know insightful, but most of all, it's fun. If you, if you didn't love do, if you didn't love this, then we wouldn't do it. You know, we, we're as, as Stephen said so eloquently at, at the very first episode. We got to be some real sickos to do something like this, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and you're listening to two of them, so it's been an absolute blast. Uh, but aside from that, yeah, this has been a great send off. Let's, let's take it home. Until next year, mock trade deadline 2024.